We've got a new series this morning we're going to begin for the next few weeks. Uh, It is entitled, Why This? Hence the big sign that says, Why This? Right there. Uh, What we want to do is is talk about why we do the things that we do. Um, Why baptism? Why... Uh, communion every Sunday. Why, uh, why do we do the things that we do? We want to do this to create clarity because we have a lot of new faces. Uh, some people who are new to the faith, some people who are just new to the church. And we want to create a sense of clarity so that everybody is on the same page. But our hope is that it will be more than just a way for you to argue with the Lutherans next door. Our hope is that this will create a sense of revival in you. That you will be excited about doing the things that God tells you to do. Our, our, our passion here is to, to share Jesus, but there's no way that you can share Jesus if you aren't also following Jesus. Like, it just doesn't make sense that you could share something you don't know about or you aren't familiar with or you aren't practicing yourself. And so we want to lay it all out and open the scriptures and ask the question, why does the Bible say this? And how are we as Christian people supposed to practice it? And so we begin this morning with asking the question, why repentance? Every, every time I do, and I do a series like this every couple of years, and I've been doing a series like this every couple of years for like 11 years now. Um, and every time a different one of these sermons is controversial, and I'm never sure which one it is. I don't know who I'm going to tick off on which Sunday. This, to me, always seems to be the, the one that makes the most sense to be uh, frustrating to people because it's the word that we all hate, Repentance. Why repentance? I want to begin in Acts chapter 8. We're going to be jumping around a little bit. I'll have most of the texts up here this morning if technology cooperates, and we're never sure if it will. But I want to summarize some of of Acts chapter 8 and and end with reading a couple of verses there to point out the importance of repentance and get us rolling this morning. Why does repentance matter? What is it? How do we do it? Those sorts of questions. Well, there's a story in Acts chapter 8. What has happened with the church is that the Holy Spirit has fallen upon the church in power and lives were just being transformed in Jerusalem. But then persecution hits Jerusalem and people begin to scatter. They're leaving because people are being killed, being thrown in prison. And one of the people that leaves is Philip. And Philip goes to this town and he begins to preach the gospel. Now there is, living in this town, a man named Simon. And Simon is a magician. Uh, He is able to either by sleight of hands or deals with the devil. We're not really sure which. He is able to do things in such a way as to mesmerize everyone. And so if you walked into town and said, who is the most powerful guy in town? Who is the holy man in town? Who is the one who you got to see when you want to see things get done? It's Simon. In fact, they call him Simon, the great power of God. That's, you know, that's nothing to sneeze at. That you, instead of, in fact, I might go for that. Instead of right reverend, Jordan, the great power of God. Simon, or Philip shows up and he is preaching the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. And the, the town has changed. They're transformed. People are believing left and right. In fact, it says that Simon himself believed the message. And Simon, rece- receiving the message and believing in this, this good news of the kingdom of God and putting his faith in Jesus Christ, is baptized and as, as the apostles who are still in Jerusalem hear this message that Philip has is, is got this great little revival happening here, they come and they begin to lay their hands on the people who have received faith and been baptized. And these people begin to, they see miracles begin to happen throughout the town on these people that, that the apostles are laying their hands on. Now Simon, Simon sees this and says, 
Miracles are great, right? Who doesn't want that? That's a cool power. It's a cool superpower to have. I would like that superpower. But you know what's a cooler superpower is the superpower to give the power to do superpowers. That follows. He wants to go, he goes to Peter and he says, here's some silver. I would like the ability to lay my hands on other people so that they will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They will receive this power from the Spirit to do miracles and speak in tongues and heal people and do all these other things. Now, we might look at this and say it's possible that Simon was being greedy. And he was thinking, if I, if I get this power to give power, then people can pay me and I can, be, I can still be the great power that I that I once was. But I think that looks at Simon negatively, and I want to look at Simon positively. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt this morning and say that he was thinking like we all think. If you want something from me, do you just come up to me and say, I want it? Well, you, you guys actually would do that. Um, we're Christians, and that's how we work. But out in the world, that's not how it works, right? If somebody has something you want, you go to them and say, here's my silver, and they say, here's my stuff, Right? In fact, I, I follow a, a, few, a few different mega church pastors. I, I read their blogs now and then. And, and one of these, in fact, I, both of these guys, they, they offer coaching so I could become a mega pastor too. The great one. And uh, that's expensive, just in case you wondered. That coaching is very expensive, right? Because if I want something from these people, I have to be able to give them something in return. I haven't paid them. Don't worry about it. Some of you are sweating. We're going to be a mega church. No worries there. Um, Simon is thinking like a human being. He's just thinking like everyone else. And he goes to Peter and he says this. And Peter looks at him and Peter says this. He says, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours. Pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart might be forgiven you. For I see that you're full of the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. And Simon says, pray for me to the Lord that nothing that you have said may come upon me. Now, what's significant about this passage? What's significant about this passage... Of course, many things, but the things that I want to hone in on this morning is that Simon believed. It doesn't say that he faked belief. It doesn't say that he wasn't really a true believer. No, it says he believed in the message of the gospel. How many of you here believe the message of the gospel? few of you. Good. It says that, that Simon was baptized uh, as a... a, a into the, into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that he is baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. How many of you have been baptized this morning? Raise your hands. Good. Not this morning, you know what I mean. I don't need sarcasm from you, Paul. Was it you? No, it was her. I, see, that's what happens. You've got to choose your spouse carefully. Because whatever they do gets blamed on you. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, we've been, and yet, and what do we see? So you see Simon, he believes, he's baptized, and yet what is lacking in his life? In fact, it even looks like it's possible. It's, it's hard because of the construction of the, of the sentence in Greek to know for certain, but it's very possible that he had his, that the apostles had laid their hands on him and that he had the ability and was practicing miracles. How many of you have practiced a miracle? Oh, I need, you need to see, I need to see you after. 
Right? We, we can't even boast that sort of thing. Therefore, Simon has boasted of something that we're not able to boast of. And yet, what is he lacking? Repentance. Repentance. That Peter looks at him and he says, you have done all of the right things. And yet I see in your heart that what is lacking there is repentance. We come from something called the restoration movement. Christian churches, churches of Christ. Now, you know there are many kinds of Christians. You can drive down the road here and see all kinds of them, right? Lutherans, Baptists, Episcopalians, all that. We have uh, never taken on any of those kinds of names because those names reflect an institutionalization. It says that there was a, at one time a, a, a list of, of things that we were really fighting for and striving for, and now it has sort of become a hierarchical um, uh, a system that is calcified to some extent and can't move forward. And incidentally, although also critically, it says in John chapter 3 that if you are to be of the Spirit, then you will be moving and doing something different. And so the more institutionalized you get, the more difficult it is to change, to adapt, to move. And so what we see in these, 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 these groups of Christians uh, is something that we don't have. We are called a movement, a restoration movement, where at one point, um, some people, uh, Barton Stone, uh, Alexander, in fact, did I put a, I think I made a picture. I did. I made a picture. Thomas Camp. well, I didn't make a picture. I put it on the screen. Thomas Campbell, Alexander Campbell, Barton Stone. These guys looked at the church and they said, something's missing. Something's missing. And they had all kinds of different things that they, were talk- that they, that they could have identified and said, this is the thing that's missing. But I, I don't want to bore you with history. That's what the new members class is for. I want to focus on that question this morning. Is something missing? In the churches, in our church, as we look across Christianity in America today, is something missing? Is something wrong? Could we pick up Alexander Campbell, Barton Stone, Thomas Campbell, move them 200-ish years into the future, plop them down in 2016, and would they look across Oakland Drive Christian Church and say, man, they finally fixed it? Or would they say, this is more troubling than anything we face in our day? It's a question. They looked at the church broadly in Portage, those who call themselves Christians, or Kalamazoo, or Michigan, or America, would they say, look, they're, they're beginning to get some things right. They're beginning to have unity. They're beginning to seek holiness. They're beginning to be purer than we ever thought that they could be pure. They're more devoted to the church. They're more devoted to the study of scripture. They're more devoted to prayer. I can't even believe how intense about God these people are. 200 years later, they finally got it together. Would they say that? Or would they say, no, that's more broken than we thought could be. Because I think, I think they would say we're more broken. Because I don't see unity as I drive through, down Oakland Drive, a unity of churches. I see each church that has its own kingdom, and we're all fighting, swapping members. Are we more passionate about gathering together to sing praises to our God, or is it like pulling teeth? to get out of bed on Sunday morning and gather together with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you more passionate to see the lost? And by the lost, I mean all those little monsters that we have running around this church. Or is it like fighting to get people to volunteer 
so that you could impart the gospel to Emery. So that she could see somebody other than her daddy saying, Jesus means so much. You must have him. Or are you too busy? Too many things going on. We uh, give 10% plus a little bit more to missionaries. we got a big board with a bunch of missionaries out there. Are we more passionate about missionaries or are we less passionate about missionaries? Because we invite them in and we give them the stage for an entire hour so that they can tell us of their good works. And really, there was crickets in here two Sundays back. What should be happening in the life of a Christian is this little word called growth. And where there is not growth, there is a practical denial of repentance. Now you can get baptized, and we can all see it happen. And you can minister, you can do sermons, you could play piano, you can volunteer all over the place in this church. You could be like Simon, doing all of the right things, and yet your heart could be full of iniquity, because repentance, I can't see it. But God sees it. And if we want a restoration, and I, man, I hope I'm not alone this morning when I say that I want restoration. I mean, I look at the church and I say, man, this, this system is broken. These things are wrong, and I want restoration. When I read Acts, I don't say, man, that was really cool that it happened 2,000-ish uh, years ago. I say, man, can we haul that forward so that Acts church looks like today? We say, yeah, I want that. That's restoration. But where does restoration come from? It comes from a people who have repented. Without repentance, there is no restoration. This is a biblical principle across the board. And the most damning of all evidence, I would say, about the church is what I want to call the shrinking list of sin. Now, I'm going to be a legalist for a second here. My great-great-grandfather, P.F. Elliott, was a preacher in Michigan. And, uh, of course, I never had the privilege of, of meeting him. But when I found out a little bit of my history, normally, when I found out a little bit about his life, I found out that he had written some books. And so I've sort of taken up a collection of his books. If I find them on eBay or, um, or on Craigslist, Craigslist, Craigslist? eBay, Amazon, whatever, I, I, I buy the books. I bought this book and I, I read, it's called The Voice of God. And in it, he goes off for like three pages about the evils of playing cards. And the first time I read this, I was like, what? Playing cards? What is, what is that about? So I, took, I, went to, I went to Grandma and I said, Grandma, I said, like, what, is this, what is this playing cards thing about? I've never heard anybody preach against playing cards. And she was like, you're nodding your head. Is that because you're a sinner or is that because you're... Simple card. Yeah. You've been there before. Um, and she's like, yeah, we couldn't go to the movie theaters. And we could, you know, all of these different. And she's sort of talking about this like, really restrictive way of life. And I thought, man, that, that's, 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 that's something. But as I have, um, but as I was studying repentance this week, I was reading just like verse after verse after verse. I like, I, there's a crazy amount of verses about repentance in the Bible. Just insane amount of verses. I began to think about Grandpa Elliot, and I began to think about what it would sound like if he was standing here today and what you would hear from him. Of him preaching like, hey, don't go, don't go play poker. You need to stay away from the movie theater. Like that, that is, that, those are, there, I've seen the fruits of these things, and the fruits of these things do not create the fruits of the Spirit. 
I've been to the movie theater a few times. Have you been to the movie theater, anybody? Have you ever received the fruit of the Spirit out of going to see a movie? Like, I, I, I don't know that he's wrong. But I think what we would see when we heard that message is we say, well, that's a legalist, that's a prude, he's being puritanical, he needs to learn a little bit about grace, and, 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 and maybe, he was, maybe he was a little too strong. But the word repentance, the word repentance means that everything about who I was, every passion, every thought, every deed that I had, that was done according to my own will has now shifted. And now I go another way. Can you say that about yourself this morning? Are those words that you can, that you could hold on to? Could you confess that this morning? I want to look at a text here from Isaiah. This has been a, a, verse, a, a chapter that's been on my heart for about three months now. I just keep on coming back to it again and again. Isaiah 55, I'll read verses uh, 6 and 7, says this. Seek the Lord while he may be found, and call upon him while he is near. I want you to pause with that for a second. Think about those words. Seek the Lord while he may be found. What does that imply? There may be a time when you can't. Call upon him while he is near. What does that imply? He's near, but it also implies there might be a time when he's no longer near. There might be a time where he cannot be found, and there might be a time when he cannot be near. There might be a time when repentance is simply no longer an option. You can no longer do it. Because you have gone too far, because it is too late, because the day of judgment has come, because you were killed in a car accident out here on Oakland Drive, because something, who knows what, stole your life, and now you're before God, and it is entirely too late to repent. Or maybe you have so calcified your heart because you did all the right things and you've been doing all of the right things and yet inside your heart there is iniquity, there is jealousy, there is envy, there is grudges, there is deceit, there is lust, there is lying, there is greed, there is just a coldness to the spirit and you are just here filling a pew, keeping a seat because you're trying to preserve yourself from hell and yet God says that's not what it's about. Do you love me? Are you hungry for me? Are you pursuing me? Have you turned from all of your ways and now you are fixed completely upon mine? And if that isn't where you are, you, no matter what you have done or what you have said, have not repented. And that's a dangerous place, especially for Christians to be in. Because if we have so deceived ourselves about the state of our soul then it is entirely, entirely too late. So seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. What does repentance look like? What what do we do? What does repentance mean? It means this, very simply. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God who will what? 
abundantly pardon. Because the heart of God is that after repentance, he can restore. But without repentance, there is no restoration. This is the message of Jesus. This is the message of the gospel. In fact, there's a great little book, if you have a chance to pick it up, or if you want to borrow it, I have it. It's called Repentance um, by something Roberts. That wasn't very helpful. Uh, but it's called, uh, it's called Repentance, and the subtitle is the, the First Word of the Gospel. So you should be able to find it with that, the First Word of the Gospel. And I love that because that's exactly correct. John the Baptist comes preaching what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You want the kingdom of heaven? Yes? Repent. Jesus shows up, does, says the same thing. After John was arrested, Jesus comes into Galilee proclaiming the gospel, the good news of God. And he says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. And we say, man, I want that kingdom of God. Okay, great. I want to give it to you. What happens first? Repent. Peter ends uh, the first sermon after the Spirit has been poured out in Acts. And, and the Spirit has filled these people. And, and they've been cut to the very quick. They've been cut to the heart. And they interrupt him. And at the end of his sermon, they say, what should we do? Repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And we get to all that stuff. But until you start here, all of this other stuff cannot fall into place. Paul preaching in Athens. These people who have never heard the gospel, they, really, they probably know very little about Judaism itself. This is a place of learning. This is the Harvard. This is the Princeton. This is the Yale of the ancient world. And they're all together. And, and, and Paul is preaching to them the good news of the kingdom of God. He's preaching to them about Jesus. He's calling them to forsake idols, to forsake false ways, and to hear the truth. And he says this, there were times of ignorance that God overlooked. There were times that God has overlooked your sin because the judgment of God has not yet fallen upon you. He says this to them as well. God has overlooked your idolatry. He's overlooked all the things that you've been about as you have rejected his truth and rejected his ways. But those times are past. And now there is a command. And the command is what? Repent. Because he has fixed a day. God has chosen a day. We don't know the day, but God has chosen a day. There is a day in God's mind when Jesus will return and he will judge the quick and the dead and the sons of men. What what will become of you on that day? For even if you've gone through all of the right steps, but repentance wasn't the first, you have gone through a false gate. And so what do we do? We seek the Lord while he may be found. We call upon him while he is near. We forsake our wicked ways. We forsake our evil thoughts. We bend our knee. We worship before God. We say, woe is me, as the, as the, 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 the evil man did, beating his chest right next to the Pharisee who said, thank you, God, that I'm not like this evil guy over here, but the, the, the guy who is a sinner, he beats his chest. He, he calls out to God. He says, woe upon me, God, for I am unrighteous and unworthy. And God says, I justify you. Because you have truly repented. Because what is God's heart? Return to the Lord that he may have compassion and to our God so that he will abundantly pardon. Because God's will is not judgment. God's will is mercy. But it is up to you to repent and to call upon him. Now, 
as I said before, repentance um, is one of those dangerous words that we use a lot in church. And it's dangerous because we are so good at deceiving ourselves that we can miss whether or not this has actually happened, whether this is actually true. And so I want to give you some things that, that repentance is not. Here's a, just a quick list. It is not to feel bad. Now certainly, if you have truly repented, you will weep over your sins. You will recognize the holiness and the glory of God, and you will recognize how far you have missed the mark, and there will be sorrow there. But I have had so many people sit in my office, on my couch, confess to me a sin that they are continuing to pursue, and me say, you cannot do this. And continue to call yourself a Christian. For you will be walking away from the good news that you have accepted. And they will always, to a person, say to me, I'm sorry. Everyone always feels bad. But they almost always, to a person, when we get to that point, say, I'm going to do it anyway. That is not repentance. That is evidence that you have never repented and that you need to do so again. It is not to say you're sorry. Right? Certainly you will, and part of repentance will be to apologize or to say, God, I, I repent of my sins. I'm sorry, I want to turn the other way. That's kind of what sorry means as well. And yet I've met so many people who have said, I am sorry, and yet the next day they're back at it. Doesn't James say the demons believe? Right? Doesn't it have anything to do with belief? It doesn't have any, doesn't have any, that's going too far. It is not completed in feeling bad. It is not completed in saying you're sorry. And it isn't even just completed in self-preservation. Some people believe that this is fire insurance, as you will, right? I just, I'm I'm here at church every Sunday because I know that's what good people do. Or, you know, I have the appearance of godliness because I, I know that's what I ought to do. And if I do all of these steps, then I'll be, I'll be saved in the sense that I won't go to hell when I die. But I'll, I'll go to heaven. You've washed the outside of the cup, but inside you're filthy. You're like a tomb that is whitewashed on the outside, but inside you're full of all kinds of dead men's bones. And vile, corrupted things. And so the question is not, are you just afraid of hell? But rather, do you love God? Do you love God more than your sin? Do you love God more than your old way of life? Do you love God more than the thing that you love most in the world? Is God your truest and best love? Self-defense cannot exist inside of repentance. How many of you times have had somebody, they've wronged you, and they come to you, this is like a spouse thing, right, too, uh, where they will say to you, I'm sorry, but you, right? Or, or you know, I'm, I'm sorry that happened, but you, the reason I did it was, or, In all of those situations, you have sorrow, you have feeling bad, but you have a sense of pride that still says, I can't be completely wrong. The gospel is beginning here. You are completely wrong. And until you accept that truth, until you are willing to give all of that up, all of that self-defense, all of that sin, and you're willing to come 
to the foot of the cross and say, I need you. I need you. You have not repented. You cannot put it off and still say it's real or think it will be real. You can't say, well, I'll repent tomorrow or I'll repent next week because tomorrow will come and then you'll say, I'll do it tomorrow. Next week will come and you'll say, I'll do it next week, right? If you wait today, this day, if you say, I know this thing, I should give up. I know what God is calling me to do. I know I need to get on my knees and I need to repent. I know I need to change today. And you say, I'll do it tomorrow. Tomorrow will never come. You will be lost. It cannot exist and be put off. And repentance, and here, and here I preach to myself, as well as to all of you. Repentance cannot be selective. You cannot say, I won't do this, this, and this, and then leave all this other stuff, which is sort of, we won't talk about this. You don't get to choose. And this is what we see today, I think, most often in the church. There is a, a, a practical denial of repentance in that, as I said, growing, shrinking of the list of sin. I don't think we should replace it by making a longer list. But what is represented in that growing, in that shrinking list of sins is a lack of desire of holiness. It isn't that going to movies, certain movies, is a sin. And it isn't that playing poker is a sin. It isn't that all of the things that we might list here are just sinful, although they, some of them might be. The point is that all of these things do not lead us to God. And the question isn't, is for the, for the good Christian, for the Christian who is, who's really repented and really has changed their ways, the question ceases to be, is this in the judgment list? Like, is God going to send me to hell for this thing? But rather, is this thing going to bring me the fruit of the Spirit? That's the question that matters. And if that's not the question on your heart as you analyze what you're going to do Monday, your day off, right? For many of you, there's a day off. What you're going to do on Monday, will this lead me closer to God? If the answer is no, then have you repented? Have you repented? This morning as we um, come to a conclusion... I don't know if I put it up or not. I didn't. I want to read Acts chapter 3. Um, this will be verse 19. Beginning with verse 19. I, I like this as a, concluding, as a concluding thought. As we lay out all of the things that repentance is not and, and, and probably could go on. And we think about all the things that repentance is, and we ask the question, well, why is it so critical? Why is it something that we preach here? And, and why is it a thing that's beginning to be left behind at other places? Why is it a thing that Christians no longer care about or are passionate about? And that's because it's so hard. Because to say, I am completely wrong, and I need to follow God completely as he is laid out in his word. In fact, that's the way the scriptures work. In the Old Testament, as you remember these stories, that there are these these, these rules that have been given, like clear, plain, black and white. You don't even have to think about it. God's laid it out for you, and the people say, no, I don't want to do that, and they walk away. And what does God do? God removes his protection from them. He says, listen, I, we're, today is promotion Sunday. 
Some of you are turning 18. Some of you are graduating. And your parents get to kick you out of the house and never give you a dime again. Praise the Lord. Right? Once you turn a certain age, your parents can wipe their hands of you, right? You're done. Now, some of you are really nice parents. And maybe Kristen won't be thrown out of the house on her ear today. Maybe they'll help her with tuition. Maybe they'll help her with car insurance. Maybe they'll, you know, give her a a, a home over the summer when, you know, college isn't going on. Maybe they will be gracious to her. But what do they owe her now? Nothing. And God is in the same way, or similarly, owes us nothing. God invites us into his house, but he lays down some ground rules... And hopefully there comes a point where you have matured beyond the reason or the need for ground rules. But when there comes a point and you have turned your back to God and you have walked in sin, you have walked in iniquity, you have walked against his way, his rule, his life, you have ignored him completely, whether you have been a Christian for 50 years or you've never been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, God says to you, repent. And if you repent, I can restore you. But I can't restore somebody who wants to live in a broken system, who wants to live in a broken life. If you want to continue to break yourself and break everyone around you, continue to live in ways that are contrary to my word, what can I do with you? What can I do with you? And Peter is is preaching in Acts chapter 3. And he says, Repent, therefore, And turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus Christ. And God did that. He sent that, Jesus Christ. And yet the message to repent is still there. A call for you to hear this message and receive his refreshing and as we use sort of our traditional words his restoration that restoration is only possible if we as a church decide to turn away from sin and begin to walk according to his ways because I want acts to be real today I want to see the power of God fall today I want to see lives change today and I don't care if it's with 50 people or 5,000 people that doesn't matter we know that God's power can fall anywhere at any time but restoration cannot happen will not happen without repentance and so the message this morning is this why this? why repentance? because we want restoration because we want to walk in God's good way, because we want to sense his power, because we want to feel his love, because we want to see him move amongst us and heal our brokenness, because we want restoration, we call you to repent. Some of you need to come down front and do that right now. You need to lay aside all of your self-defense. You need to lay aside all of your pride. You need to lay aside all of the excuses that you've made, and you need to come forward. You need to repent. You need to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Some of you need to come forward and repent because you've been walking as a Christian, doing all the right things, and yet you know in your heart repentance has not happened. As I said earlier, if repentance doesn't happen today, it probably won't happen at all. And so if the Spirit is calling to you today to repent, we invite you to come forward. Jack will be down here to pray with you. I'll be down here. We'll cry with you. We'll 
weep with you, we'll share with you, we'll hold you accountable. We'll do whatever it takes to see that you and me and all of us walk in the good way of the Lord. But it doesn't begin until we repent. Consider that as we stand and sing this song.